Acts 13, verse 42 says, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and chief men of the city and raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from that region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And Father, we just humbly pause and ask now for just the help of your Holy Spirit and his ministry. As we open the word of God, we pray that you'd give us an ear to hear what your spirit will want to say to this part of the church through this portion of the word of God this morning. And as always, Lord, we ask that we wouldn't hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but experience the demonstration of your spirit and power speaking directly and personally to our hearts. So bless your word and speak to us now. We ask expectantly in Jesus name and everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, a response is what we say or do in connection to what has been said or done. Let me say that again. A response is what we say or what we do in direct connection to what has been said or what has been done. And let me say the way that we respond truly matters to God. It matters very much to God, particularly because God has given us the freedom and capacity to choose as human beings how we do respond. It's one of the ways God has created us in his image and in his likeness. God is, is able by volition to make decisions. He makes his own choices and God has given us this capacity to make choices as well and the opportunity to respond to what is said and what is done. And here the Holy Spirit records for us at the end of Acts chapter 13 a record of various responses to God to God's word being spoken, responses to God's work taking place and to God's will happening and unfolding. And there are great lessons for us to learn about the value and the importance of responding and responding right 
in comparison to responding wrong. Now, remember Acts chapter 13, our last section we looked at together, Paul and Barnabas were given an invitation there in a local synagogue in Antioch, Pisidia to speak to the people that were assembled. They gave a reading from the law and the prophets and being there as visiting prominent rabbis who were known, they were asked, hey, if you have some word for us that you'd like to share, please speak on. Well, this was customary. Sometimes an invitation would be given to visiting teachers and this was extended to Paul and Barnabas and Paul capitalized on this opportunity and took the opportunity to begin to speak to the people and powerfully preach this sermon showing how gracious God had been to people all throughout the history of Israel particularly. And he gave this history lesson of the nation of Israel and how God repeatedly extended grace so many ways to them and how the pinnacle really of the grace of God was as it came to the place of the sending of a savior to them specifically. And that savior, he said, being Jesus Christ, that is Jesus of Nazareth. And then Paul began to explain, quoting various scriptures, proving from the Old Testament that the Jesus of Nazareth who had come among them was indeed the Messiah that God said and predicted he was going to send to the people of Israel, that he was that promised Christ, that promised Messiah, and how Jesus fulfilled the scriptures from the Old Testament in his life in the way that he was born, in his ministry, in his ultimate suffering and death upon the cross, and more than that, his resurrection from the dead. And Paul kind of concluded his sermon, putting this continual emphasis on the fact that Jesus was alive, that God raised him from the dead. And now as a living Savior, he is now the perfect mediator between God and mankind and offers the opportunity for us to be in right relationship with God. That was why he declared, look back in verse 38, regarding Jesus, he came to his culmination of the sermon. He said, therefore, let it be known to you, those listening, brethren, that through this man, that is Jesus, through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins and by him. Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be, he says, justified by observing and keeping the law of Moses. And in light of those wonderful realities that Jesus provides forgiveness of sins, which we all need because we all sin and we all fail and it makes us guilty before our creator. And we all need to be made right with God, justified, and we cannot make ourselves right with God, Paul says, through the observance of the law. The law could only reveal sin. It was like a mirror. It could show you your condition. A mirror can reveal to you your condition, but it can't change your condition, right? A mirror can say to you, Tony, you are ugly, but it can't change that. You're getting fat. It can't change that. Your hair is all messed up, but it can't change your hairdo, right? Something else needs to to take place the mirror can just reveal well the law could only reveal people's condition that we fall short of the standard of righteousness we need to be made right with god differently and that's what jesus does jesus gives us his righteousness and can make us justified and innocent before god now in light of those things paul then said as he wrapped up that's why a response is necessary 
Jesus offers forgiveness. It's through him. If we believe we can be made right with God, but he gave that strong warning in there in verse 40 and 41. He says, beware therefore that you don't fall into an evil heart of unbelief like they did in times of old towards the word of the prophets. Be careful, he says, that you don't choose to not believe what God's word is saying and these wonderful realities of what God did in Christ and despise it and reject it. Because he says the risk is that you will perish if you despise and reject what God is offering to you. So we now come in verse 42 to the response of this spiritually anointed sermon that Paul the Apostle was giving as he gave them God's word and they were hearing God's voice through the teaching of the word of God and God was speaking to them, we now see the responses beginning in verse 42. It says, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles, look at this, begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath day. So the Gentiles who were those amongst them who did not have a good religious background. They didn't have a basis and a foundation of understanding the scriptures as the Jews were privileged to have. And yet it's the Gentiles we see here by the Holy Spirit are awakened spiritually and they become hungry to want to hear more of what God may want to say to them, more truth from God and his word. They sense God's voice speaking to them as Paul was sharing the scriptures. And as a result, their hearts literally yearned for more. Do you see the language there? Look at it in the text in verse 42. It literally says, the Holy Spirit tells us that they begged. That's an intense word. They begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. What a response to God's voice. What a response to hearing God's word. They have this strong desire to want to be able to grasp more spiritually. They're hungry. They want to be able to learn and to understand the ways of God on a deeper level. Imagine after a sermon, people actually begging, please, please come back next week. Please tell us more. Preach more to us about these things. Tell us more about Jesus. Explain to us more about who he is and what he did for us and what he can offer to us. Teach us more of what the word of God says. Please, we're begging you. Please come back. And what a wonderful response to hearing God's voice through the preaching of his word. Reminds me of Psalm 119. It says there in the psalmist, Psalm 119, verse 131, I opened my mouth and panted for I longed for your commandments. Wow, what a heart condition. Like a deer thirsty, panting after water and longing. He says, that's my heart attitude, the psalmist says, towards the word of God. You know, we look at a text like this and I would encourage each one of us, great opportunity to evaluate your heart condition today towards hearing God's voice. And particularly through hearing God's voice through the proclamation of God's word, like which what was happening in this synagogue setting as Paul was preaching to the people. Does this illustration reflect your heart condition this morning? Is that your heart condition towards hearing God's voice? Do you find yourself longing and yearning to hear more? You can't wait until the next meeting, the next Bible study, the next opportunity to be able to hear God's word again, to hear God's word spoken and taught and explained so you can hear God's voice speaking to you by his spirit. Look, that is hunger for God. That is hunger for wanting to hear from God and longing to let God speak to you. And I tell you, that's the ideal spiritual 
response right there. There's the ideal where there's actually this anticipation when it comes to the opportunity to hear from God. There's actually this expectation. I am going not because it's the right thing to go to church on Sunday and I want to feel like I did my religious or Christian duty, but no, I am going to that meeting because I want God to speak to me. I want to hear something from you, God. I need to hear something from you or Lord, I won't even make it through Tuesday. Lord, I need an answer. I need a promise. I need an encouragement. I need a correction. I I need you to speak something to me from your living word that's for my life. And what a beautiful thing, longing to want to hear more. Or is your heart condition the opposite this morning? Is your heart condition really more apathetic towards God's voice? Maybe callous towards hearing what God might want to say through his word and through the preaching and teaching of his word where you, where you kind of honestly, you kind of more just endure sermons and hope it's not too long or too dry or, or you find yourself kind of graciously and respectfully listening but you're honestly, sincerely not really very interested and you kind of just in one ear, out the other, kind of just tune it out. Look, if that's where your heart is this morning, I would just encourage you, you know what a good response would be? Pray and ask God to change your heart. Ask God by his Holy Spirit to soften your heart, to awaken your heart, and to give you a hunger. To give you a hunger to want to hear from God and want to hear God's voice. Well, verse 43 goes on to say, now when the congregation had been broken up, the idea is the the, the worship meeting's coming to a close now. They're about to depart. It says, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So here we see many decided to follow the way of the Lord Jesus that they had just heard about through Paul and Barnabas's sermon on that day. Both Jews, it says, verse 43, and it says that they were also devout proselytes. Now, that would be a reference to those who had converted to Judaism, God-fearing Gentiles, those who converted to Judaism at some point. It says these individuals, many of them, did choose to follow. Now, notice it says in verse 43, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who were what? Representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. The implication in the text there is that these individuals made a decision after hearing about the way of the Lord, they made a decision to become followers of what we saw earlier in the book of Acts, the way. And that was a term used that day for Christianity, the way. So the implication isn't that they chose, hey, we really want to follow Paul. The implication is they made a decision to follow the way that Paul was living, which was to follow the way of the Lord, to follow Jesus. What's being implied to us here is these individuals, many of them, chose to follow the way of the Lord. They made decisions after hearing God's word to become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore departing from their prior belief system, which was what? Following the law of Moses. And now they've chosen to believe upon Jesus and his offer of grace and forgiveness of sin, making that transition. Romans 10 verse 4 says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And they understood this transition happening and available through Jesus. Romans 3 speaks of being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ. And it appears in verse 43 that this group who decided to now follow the Lord 
had genuinely experienced the grace of God in salvation because look what Paul and Barnabas do at the end of the verse. It says, speaking to them as they're about to depart from the meeting, they persuaded those who became new followers. They persuaded them now to continue in the grace of God. Paul took time to strongly urge and persuade these new followers of Jesus who just experienced God's grace and salvation to make sure they stay focused and rooted upon grace as they now continue to grow spiritually. The grace of God is God's kindness, God's blessing, God's favor toward those who are undeserving. The grace of God is a reference always to God's kindness and God's gift that's freely given without you or I having to earn it without us even being able to achieve it if we tried to work for it, because it's grace. It's just freely available, God's love, God's kindness to undeserving people who cannot and do not have the ability to work for it in any way. And the Bible teaches very clearly that we are saved, that we experience the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life to be able to go to heaven and to have a relationship personally with God by grace by grace that that's how those things are received titus 2 11 says it's the grace of god that brings salvation to men many of us are familiar with ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 where there it says for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works lest anyone should boast all throughout the word of God, we see this understanding. Romans 6 speaks of the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Again, when you receive a gift at Christmas time, someone else pays for that gift. It was their idea to give you that gift. They give you that gift because they love you. They pay for it. They provide it. All you do is choose whether or not you're going to open it and receive it and experience it for yourself or say, I understand what you're offering, but I don't want your gift. But you don't work for your Christmas gifts. You don't earn your Christmas gifts. Your gift is something someone else supplies. They provide out of love. Same way, God offers a gift through Jesus Christ of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. We did and we can, folks, do nothing through our religious works or efforts in any way to be made right with God. It is a free gift of grace alone to be forgiven of all of your sin to have access into heaven after you die. We must believe that and receive that by faith. That's the only way we can experience that. If you are still thinking in any way, somehow something you did in your religious efforts earlier on in your life or your current spiritual routines or activities is what's kind of like atoning for making you right with God or keeping you okay with God, you're still not right with God. It's only when you come to understand, Lord, the only way I can be forgiven, the only way I can be right with you and have access into heaven is to receive it as a gift, to just believe it's true. And, and that's one of the hardest things, right? To humble ourselves and say, Lord, I can't be good enough. I, I am wretched like every other person on this earth. I truly am, Lord. And to humbly receive that reality and to receive it as a gift. And look, once we have been saved by the grace of God, it's important that we learn to continue in that understanding of God's grace. He says there, 
he urged them to continue. He persuaded and urged. He says, but you have to continue now in the grace of God. That is, it's important for us as a believer to remain anchored in our confidence of the grace of God and to keep our relationship with the Lord rooted and based in our understanding and appreciation that it is all about his wonderful, wonderful grace and that we don't, listen, gravitate back into a works mentality. That's called legalism which is where we then think in some way if we start to do certain things or maintain certain spiritual routines that somehow because I do these things and I check that list for my personal convictions of what I think I should do spiritually or religiously or because I don't do these certain things that other people do, that kind of makes me more spiritual. And so therefore, because you do those things, but, but I don't do those things, I'm more spiritual than you. Or because I do these things or I maintain these certain disciplines or rules or lists of my spiritual life, and they may not even be bad things, but you know, good things. But I think that somehow by doing those things, I'm more holy or more righteous or I become more righteous. That's called legalism. It's thinking somehow I'm adding to the righteousness of Christ. That somehow I'm making myself more righteous in some way. That's what the letter of Galatians was written in regards to people who were regressing back into observing the law and rule keeping and thinking somehow as they reverted back to religious rules, they were becoming more spiritual. Paul says this to the Galatians in chapter three, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified this only i want to learn did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith are you so foolish having begun in the spirit are you now being made perfect by the flesh as paul gets to chapter 5 in the same letter he says in galatians 5 4 you have become estranged from christ you who attempt to be justified by the law you've fallen from grace Paul's saying that the believers, he's saying you, you, you've interfered with your intimate love relationship and appreciation with Jesus. You become estranged from him because you're attempting to now kind of justify yourself all the time by your own little set of laws and rules and rituals that you follow in your spiritual life. And he's saying, be careful of that. Don't fall, he says, from that position of just amazing grace, Lord. How wonderful to know it's all by your wonderful grace. It's important that once you've been saved by grace, you continue in it. Throughout the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says it is good that the heart be established, he says, by grace. The idea is that your heart is secure in your walk with Jesus because you understand grace and you deeply appreciate that. In fact, Paul told Timothy as he wrote to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, Timothy, be strong in grace. Could have told him be strong in a lot of things, but he said, Timothy, you be strong in grace. Be strengthened by that inwardly and let that be the strength of what you are and how you live out your life. Because look, as we remain dependent, even as Christians, on this wonderful grace of God, do you know what it does? I'll tell you two things that it does. It will make you constantly appreciate Jesus and be a worshiper. And it will also keep you humble. It will give you a spirit of humility before people. 
and an attitude of servanthood and gracious humility, just like Jesus had. Well, look what happens when this work of God's grace and spirit happened in this community. Verse 44, it says on the next Sabbath, the begging work, look at this. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. The power of what God was doing had an incredible drawing effect upon the entire city there. The next week at the worship meeting, it was filled beyond capacity. It literally says in the Bible there, almost the whole city, imagine that, came together to hear the word of God. Now, the key here indicating this was a genuine work of the spirit of God and a genuine work of the grace of God is the powerful drawing effect was that people came, look at the text, to hear what? The word of God. That's how you know this is a work of the Spirit. The people came together to hear the word of God. People wanted to hear from God. People were drawn because they wanted to hear what God's word had to say. Now, in connection to that, that means that the whole city didn't gather with this great explosion and population growth because people wanted to come and hear Paul because he was such an impressive, talented speaker. Or because, you know, they decided to ramp things up and, and, and just have this incredible music and light show and lasers and smoke and wow, I mean, that, we got to go check that out. It says people were gathering and coming, the growing crowd. This occasion was you know, specifically because the Spirit of God was moving in the hearts of the community and people wanted to hear God's voice. They wanted to hear God's word. That's a genuine work of the Spirit. That's a genuine move of God's grace in a community, people longing to hear from God, a strong desire that God would speak to them. And this is the response this drawing power of God is happening in the community. And boy, I look at this and I say to myself, and I hope you agree with me, would to God that we might see this happen in our day. Would to God that, that, that we would see the spirit of the Lord and a move of God's grace happen in such a way that it would awaken a community, awaken a city by his spirit, that, that it wouldn't need to be, hey, is that guy an impressive enough order? Does he have a powerful enough charismatic personality? Do we do enough to kind of, you know, make the whole experience, that's what church services are being called now, an experience that people want to come back to the next show? Or is the Spirit of God moving so powerfully in the city that people are coming because they want to hear God? And they want to hear God's word and what God's word would say to them in a personal way. What a beautiful thing. Well, we now come to the response of the religious Jews and the leaders of the synagogue in verse 45. It says, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. So we find here a wrong response now, if you would, to the word of God, a wrong response to the work of God. And what is it? It's anger and opposition. The religious leaders, they see the multitudes now coming out and they're not coming for their traditional religious experiences of what synagogue worship was normally like with the law of Moses at the basis. What the people are coming now for is a real experience with the Lord, 
a real experience with Jesus himself and wanting to hear the word of God and the scriptures taught. And it says, look at verse 45, they were filled with envy. That is, they were actually jealous and angry that the spirit of God was using Paul in the way he was and it had accrued a following among the community and that a work of the spirit was happening. So much so, it says there in the verse, they even started looking at it, contradicting. It says blaspheming and opposing what Paul was teaching. So they're now in, they're literally refuting and trying to debate with Paul and stop him from what he's saying and the message. They're trying to hold back the gospel of grace from going out to people and people hearing the word of God. I look at verse 45, I put in my notes here, that's really the response of spiritual warfare. That's the response of spiritual warfare as the devil, sadly, is even using the religious community there as his tools to try and oppose and resist the work of God's grace and the true gospel message from going out. These people were religious in activity, but they weren't in right relationship with God. And because of that, they chose to refuse Jesus themselves, and now they want to keep others from accepting Jesus. And now they're trying to actually stop the religious community here is trying to stop people from hearing the gospel. I look at this and I think, what a sad thing. The religious community in this picture now becomes the greatest opponent to the true work of God's Spirit. What a sad thing. But whenever a work of the Lord is happening by the Spirit of God, working through the Word of God, the response of the devil is always going to be the same. The devil is going to be filled with envy. He's going to be angry that God's Spirit is doing wonderful things. And the devil wants to keep people from hearing the truth and being set free. And the devil is not opposed, if necessary, to even use the religious community to keep people from having a real experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we see that very thing happening. Well, look how Paul and Barnabas now respond to the opposition. Verse 46, it says, Paul and Barnabas grew bold, as if they already weren't, huh? They grew bold. And then they said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves worthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. So the Holy Spirit emboldens Paul and Barnabas, and they now begin to speak the truth about the guilty condition these rejectors have put themselves into by their response to God's voice and God's word being refusal, personal rejection. Paul says there to them in verse 46, look, we understood the gospel was to be offered to you first, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. And so we came to you first. And we presented to you the truth about Jesus Christ and his grace, giving you opportunity to respond to his offer as Savior. He says there, verse 46, but you chose to reject it. Your decision, your response was refusal. They consciously chose to reject what God was saying to them. They heard God speak to them just like others who heard God speak to them and responded to believe and to follow Jesus but there were others who heard the same message. They heard God's voice just as clearly, but they chose to harden their heart, to not believe and to refuse what was being offered. After hearing, they made a willing decision to refuse what God was saying. They rejected Jesus as Savior. 
They rejected Jesus' forgiveness for their sins and the free gift of eternal life. They rejected God's way to be saved. That's why Paul says in verse 46 there in the text, you see what he says? He says, this reveals clearly as you're rejecting, this reveals that you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. In other words, what Paul's saying is you apparently see no value in eternal life for yourself. Because you reject what God is saying and offering to you through Jesus, apparently you determined you don't need eternal life. You don't need what God's offering through Jesus for yourself. And they reject God's word of salvation through rejecting Jesus. And you know what? When a person does that, they reject eternal life. Jesus himself in John chapter 3, many of us know it. What did he say? He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes upon him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But what did he say in the verse after? John 3, 18. Jesus went on to say, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed. Again, opportunity. Believe or not believe. Receive or reject. Both would be there. The consequence would be attached. John chapter 3, later on in verse 36, says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. Two different consequences from two different responses. Listen to what Jesus said in John 5.40. Jesus said this specifically. He said, you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. That is eternal and spiritual life. Jesus specifically said, you have opportunity, but you are not willing. You're not willing. You're choosing to reject. You're choosing to refuse. The Bible teaches every human soul is completely responsible before God for our choice in regards to these matters. That we are all personally accountable to our creator and if we choose to reject Jesus and God's word and what it says about him and reject that truth, then we are fully accountable for our decision to reject Jesus Christ as our savior, to refuse the gift of salvation and eternal life through him and we are fully accountable and responsible to experience our own eternal punishment as the result of that because we were not willing for whatever reason we justified we determined you know what i just i'm not doing that or i don't want to do that or i'm i just i don't believe that but yet we are choosing to do that we are making that decision everyone's offered the gift of god which is eternal life but we can clearly as you see here refuse to reject it we can exercise our free will to refuse but let us never forget we bear responsibility for that It was a choice that we made. How sad when the truth of God is presented to a human soul, his word is speaking clearly and yet it's refused. But sadly, look folks, that's the freedom that we have as human beings. God has graciously given us that freedom. God doesn't force us. God doesn't cause us to not be able to, you know, be careful of being guilty of rejecting God's voice. When God speaks to you, you have a huge decision to make. When God speaks to you, you can reject what he's saying, you can respond rightly to what he's saying, but no, you will face the guilt if you reject it. 
you will face the responsibility for that. Notice how Paul and Barnabas respond to the rejection themselves of preaching the gospel. They simply say, since you reject it, he says at the end of verse 46 there, we now therefore turn to the Gentiles. In other words, what Paul is doing is Paul understood that their rejection is simply part of speaking God's word. We have to remember that when we speak God's word or share the gospel. Part of it is sometimes people reject. We can't control that. But they didn't grow overly discouraged in spirit and quit. It actually says they grew bold. You would think their humanity would be like, well, that's really discouraging. I, I guess we're done preaching. I mean, I just, that's, we, I'm sharing with anybody else ever again. That's it. They rejected us. Instead, what does Paul do? It says they grew bold and rather they just adjusted their approach to go reach people who are willing to listen. It says, we're going to turn to the Gentiles. We're going to go to those where the fields seem fertile and to the Gentile people. In fact, they even found guidance from Scripture to navigate the rejection. See what verse 47 says? For so the Lord has commanded, he quotes Isaiah 49, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. I like this. Paul and Barnabas use Scripture to help them respond to their present experience. There's another response. They're using the scripture to help them respond to their current experience. Isaiah 49 declared that some would serve as a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to other people in other locations. And apparently, Paul and Barnabas took that verse as a personal promise and word from the Lord for their own lives in their present situation. It was that very verse that they took that they felt was a word from the Lord that they were now to turn their attention in their ministry efforts in a different direction. Hey, we tried, we offered, we presented the truth. There was not response. There was not fruit in this particular area. So therefore, they felt this was God's word saying it's time to change directions. It's time to turn and to put your ministry focus in a different way. They felt God's word was confirming the circumstances, showing them it was now time to shift their focus of where their ministry was, that they were to make a change and now outreach in a different direction. The Lord was redirecting them now to reach a different people group. I think from looking at these events here, there are lessons to be learned. First of all, it is always good, like Paul and Barnabas here, it is always good to look to God's word to help us to respond in what's happening in our lives. When things happen, good, bad, ugly, difficult, challenging, when experiences and circumstances are going on, the word of God can be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path to show me how to respond. Paul grabs this verse from Isaiah 49. He says, that's the word of the Lord right there for me personally of how I'm to respond in this situation. And it can help direct and guide us what to do as we respond personally. And secondly, let me say this by way of application. Sometimes it is necessary to turn our attention in a new direction with ministry. Let me encourage you this morning. Don't try and force the Lord's work if it's just not happening. Maybe it's just sharing with one person you keep sharing with. Maybe it's trying to continue to take a particular path that's good intended and it's ministry and you're doing nothing wrong but don't try and force the lord's work if it's just not happening and i'm not saying you quit after day one 
But when there's a season of time and an opportunity to measure and to be able to realize it, perhaps it's better to just adjust and minister elsewhere and to put your effort and attention and look for open doors where there's receptivity and and then put your heart into that and maybe it's the Lord redirecting. So Paul says here, look, uh, we know the word of the Lord says that he has set some as a light to the Gentiles for salvation. And verse 48 says, now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. In other words, they were the Gentiles were thankful. Wow, God's word tells us that he wants to save us and so they're now rejoicing that the Lord desires to save them. And verse 48 goes on to say, and as many as been, been appointed to eternal life, believe. Notice, here the Holy Spirit tells us, and take note of this, what influenced and what directed this very favorable response that did happen among some to the word of God. It describes God's divine work of grace having appointed and chosen them for eternal life which prompted them therefore to believe and receive what God's grace was stirring in their hearts this gives the balance here folks to man's free will and personal responsibility before God here's the word of God giving us balance in the, in the same text in the same section the Holy Spirit speaks of those who believed because see what it says those who were appointed to eternal life therefore believed This is the biblical doctrine of what we call election or being saved by God's sovereignty and God's sovereign choice of us. Ephesians 1 says to us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, just as he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. First Peter chapter one, Peter says, believers are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, that God knew things in advance. It tells us as well in Romans chapter eight, Paul said, for whom God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The Bible teaches that those who are believers and believe are in such a condition because God graciously chose them to be in that condition. Because God graciously appointed, selected, determined for them, for us to be a part of his eternal family. That in advance, before I was ever born, God appointed and destined for me to be in heaven with him. And look, that truth is intended to encourage the believer. Election is not a doctrine for the unsaved. It's a doctrine for the Christian to make you feel very secure that you're destined for heaven. That Jesus would say, before you chose me, I chose you. (laughs) And you should feel very comfortable and confident that the Lord says, look, I appointed you for eternal life. I wanted you to experience heaven. It testifies of the great love and grace of God that our salvation, listen, it's a work of God. It's a total work of the grace of God transpiring in my depraved, dead human heart that God initiated my salvation. Seeing me in that condition, God, by his grace, called me and stirred me and prompted me to believe and even gave me by his grace the very faith to receive the gift and to believe upon God and to receive what he was offering. All you and I did was receive the invitation. 
All we did is say yes rather than say no. That's not a whole lot of credit there we get. And look, anything in regards to our salvation, all the glory of salvation belongs to God. All the credit goes to God. All the praise should be given to Him. Any favorable response I ever have towards God is something I should never take credit for. I should give all the glory to God for. That it was a total work of His grace inside of me that turned my heart and I simply yielded. And look, folks, the Bible teaches equally both truths, both doctrines. The sovereign will of God in election and choosing for salvation and the free will and responsibility of man. The Bible teaches both. They run through the scriptures like two parallel lines. And we may have trouble reconciling these two ideas in our heads, but from heaven's perspective, they coexist and they have no problem of contradiction in God's mind. And, and we need to be careful that we realize we have to accept both truths by faith and not try and overly resolve it intellectually, but just believe it by faith. That the Bible teaches both. That God declares both. And if you try and reconcile it mentally, you're probably going to end up derailing spiritually. This is how whole extreme camps get involved. Jesus in John chapter 6 You want to talk about messing up everybody's theology. He spoke of both in one statement. He said, all the father gives to me will come to me. There's election. And the one who comes to me, there's choice. I will by no means cast out. So Jesus says, whoever the father gave me, that's who's coming to me. And then Jesus said, and whoever chooses to come to me, I won't reject anybody who chooses to come to me. What an amazing thing. God's sovereignty and election and salvation gives all the glory to God for salvation And the free will and personal responsibility of man holds mankind, you and I, accountable to God for our response should we choose to reject him. This incredible thing. And let me say this. Be very careful. And please hear me in this. Be very careful if you try and delve and understand all this intellectually. Though the Bible teaches that God has appointed people to eternal life, nowhere does the Bible declare that God has appointed people to damnation and hell. That is a human assumption that people try and make when they try and reconcile things in their camp and they deduce, well, if God's appointed people to go to heaven, that has to mean that God's appointed, predetermined that people have to go to hell. That's a good human conclusion, but that's not biblical. The Bible just simply teaches God has appointed people to go to heaven, but the Bible teaches if people choose to go to hell, they're personally guilty and responsible. Very important. Be careful of trying to over-rationalize things. Well, how do I know if I'm appointed to go to heaven? Believe. Well, I don't want to believe. Well, maybe you're not appointed. I don't know. But if you believe, you'll find out that you were appointed and that the Lord chose you before you ever chose him. Verse 49, let's wrap it up. The word of the Lord, it says, was being spread throughout all the regions. So notice, now the Spirit of God is moving so powerfully. God's word, not just in a city, the whole region is being impacted. Verse 50, but the Jews and devout, it says, Jews and the devout and prominent women and chief men of the city, they raised up now a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They're really angry now. And they expelled them from their region. So they are so angry. Here's a further response to 
animosity towards God and what he's doing. They literally go and get all the powerful and influential people. Maybe the, again, the, the, the movers and shakers in the society, the prominent men and women, the politicians and business leaders. And ultimately, he says, they force Paul and Barnabas out of the community. The door closes rather abruptly on them. Verse 51, but they, Paul and Barnabas, shook the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. So rather than angrily fight and demand their rights, hey, you can't do that. We have the right to preach the gospel. What do they do? They move on. They just accept, here's what it is, they just accept the sovereignty of God. They accept the reality. The Lord is not forceful in his work. They depart graciously. They move on to a new location and they look for new opportunities to minister. Jesus himself in Luke's gospel spoke about this idea of kind of shaking the dust from your feet. The idea is kind of just indicating, hey, we came, we offered the opportunity, but we share no responsibility. This is your decision. And we're no longer accountable. We shake the dust from our feet of your land and we're moving on. Look, folks, sometimes a right response, a right response sometimes involves being willing to graciously depart and not force things to happen if it's not the Lord's time or it's not what the Lord's doing. Sometimes graciously departing is a a great wisdom from the Lord. Well, verse 52 ends by saying, and the disciples, both Paul and Barnabas, as well as all these new converts, kind of strange, look what it says after all this, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So here's this cruel, mean treatment. The door slams closed. They're expelled out of the community. Here all of a sudden you got all these new converts and now nobody's there to pastor and lead them and all this happens. And instead of being angry, distracted and discouraged, they're just thankful for what the Lord did and they're trusting that the Lord will continue and carry on what began there. And it literally says they're filled with joy. The idea is they were just rejoicing in the Lord and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, they were under the influence of the Spirit, letting him empower them to handle what was going on. You know, this morning, let me say to you, if we respond right, we can, like these believers here, if we respond right, we can find joy to rejoice in the Lord no matter what's happening circumstantially. No matter what difficulties transpire, and life's tough, and sometimes people do us wrong, but despite difficult circumstances, you can always rejoice in the Lord. And despite what's going on, you can seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit to handle and be empowered to deal with the difficult circumstances. That's the right response. This morning, how are you responding right now to what the Lord is allowing to transpire in your life? Let me remind you, the response is your choice. And the response is also your responsibility. Shall we stand together?